Here we are. So, uh, lesson 59, uh, the book of Romans, grace and peace to you. And so we're in chapter 8, and um, I don't know, I could have made the entire course, I guess, just Romans chapter 8, <laughs> been there forever. Um, one of these days we're going to get past verse 29, what I'm going to dip my toe in that today, so, so we will, we'll get there. All right, that's my predestined proclamation. So anyway, um, our message is conformation to the image of God's Son. Now, I've, I had to wrestle with my word check, word speller, whatever you want to call it, on my word. Every time I typed conformation, it wanted to change it to confirmation. And that's not the subject. It's not confirmed, it's conformed. And so, um, any of you that want to retype my notes for me, you're able to do that, but you're going to wrestle with the, uh, the, the spell checker. So, conformation to the image of God's Son. That this predestination that we've been talking about in the last couple lessons, we, we talked about the sovereignty and the foreknowledge of God. Last week we talked about, mostly, what predestination is not some misunderstandings from some of the classic uh, theological circles, the Calvinist understanding, and then you got the Arminian. I didn't go into a lot of that, but pretty much take the opposite of whatever Calvin says, and that's what the Arminians believed. Not quite, but, um, but all of that doesn't mean that they didn't have a lot of good things to say. Like I said, John Calvin... Uh, 23 volumes of the Institutes of Christian uh, Theology, Institutes of Christian Religion. Uh, anyway, his, his studies, incredible amount of wonderful things he said as the church was coming out from under the, the oppression and the ignorance, sorry to say it, of the Roman church uh, that had been dominating for over a thousand years. And as... Calvin, Luther, some others got wakened to these ways of thinking. There was tremendous revelation in the scriptures. They turned it into, what does the Bible say? Instead of, what has the head of the church said? And that head is not Jesus in their way of thinking. So, there had been so much wrong and Calvin began to formulate probably the most complete theology of the time, systematic theology. Luther's theology, which came about the same period of time, a little bit earlier. Uh, Luther's theology was excellent. It's called Reformed theology. Um, it's pretty close to Calvinist theology, but there are some differences. And Reformed theology, uh, based upon Luther's writings, uh, focused a lot on faith and God's justification by faith. So there were tremendous insights being given. Uh, then within uh, 50 years, Joseph Arminius was writing in Holland, and uh, he was seeing things that they were seeing, but sometimes a little bit differently. And so, again, you had two great opposing uh, theologies growing within Protestantism, 
And then within another 50 years came Anglicanism and the whole Episcopal movement. And so that, that period of history is incredible. I, I, I love to teach church history, and I would do it if I thought some people would come. But I'm afraid a lot of people would uh, go somewhere else. So anyway, but, um, but there's, uh, yeah, 23 books of Calvin's Institutes of Theology. So how long would it take me to go through 23 volumes? Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay, forget that. So what are we talking about? The confusion is over this issue of sovereignty. All right, so this all, all of these things that we're talking about fit under this, this category of sovereignty, which we talked about two lessons ago. And sovereignty simply means God is superior. He is the one who is at the top. He answers to no one. God answers to no one. And he has established certain ways. And in his ways, it's either his way or no way. And that's, that's simply the way that God has established it. And in his, in his theology, he's established a certain way of uh, uh, ministering to people. So we call that a systematic theology of the Bible, which is simply uh, a putting what the Bible teaches into categories, into ways of thinking. And you start off with uh, who is God and all the things that the scripture reveals about who God is, and then his plan for man and redemption and so forth. Um, and so that is a systematic theology. And in that theology, we come up to these certain questions. So we read verses like what we're reading here, who uh, God has foreknown, whom he has foreknown, he also predestined. And so it's, it's, that's pretty simple. That's what it says. But then others read predestination, meaning God has chosen who gets to be saved and who doesn't. But in God's sovereignty, he has allowed something else. And God as sovereign has allowed man to make choices. Certain choices. He sets the choices. It's kind of like you know, going to some restaurants, you want this with that, you say, no, you can't have that. But I want that, but you can't have that. We don't serve it that way. You know, and so that's the way it's going to be. I went to a French restaurant down in St. Martin where we were ministering in a church down there, and they said uh, they, had a, they had a roast duck breast, and it sounded great to me. I love duck. And so I thought, okay, that's great. And he said, I must tell you, this French, the waiter, I must tell you, the chef fixes that medium rare. It will be red. If you don't want it that way, don't order it. In other words, there, there's no change. Either you're going to eat it this way, or you're not going to eat it at all. All right, so sovereign, <laughs> sovereign. Uh, the choice was mine, but I couldn't make a choice outside of his sovereignty. Because the chef won't cook it any other way. Which, by the way, it was, I ordered it, it was excellent, and I'm still alive. You know, it's like 20 some years later. Hey, I rare, ate rare duck. So, uh, but it was, 
It, it, God has established certain ways, and that's all sovereignty really means. Get, get beyond the fear of the word sovereign. God is sovereign. I'm glad he is, because if he wasn't, who would be? Our president? Any, any president? Any world ruler? Uh, your friends? How about your parents? <laughs> yeah. Some people are afraid to open their mouths because their parents are present. Sarah, caution now. But um, so we, you know, it's like, who, who do you want to be sovereign? All of us? Did, is everybody? Free choice? We can do anything we want, anytime we want? How'd that work out for Adam? Uh, didn't. Why? Because God's sovereign. Eat this, you live. Eat that, you'll die. They did, and they died. And so that is God's sovereign position. So in his sovereignty, he foreknew. I know I'm backing up a bunch of stuff, but in God's sovereignty, he foreknew who would make the choice for him, who would make the choice to believe in Jesus Christ, who would make the choice for salvation. God knew who would make those choices and, and multitudes of other choices down through the history of Scripture that God has established, and God foreknows the choices that we will make. But the beautiful thing is God has an answer for every wrong choice that you make. And so he gives you another opportunity. It's like taking a test, you get the questions wrong, and the teacher says, okay, let me give you another choice on these. You know, it's a true and false test. 3,000 questions. And so it's true or false. Every question. And you miss a question, God says, no, that's a wrong answer, so choose again. Well, I'm going to choose true. Well, but that was wrong the last time. Well, I'm not going to choose it this time because I, I like true. I just marked everything true because I don't want to make any negative confessions of false. So there it is. And God says, no, it's wrong. Choose again. And that's the way God in his sovereignty looks at our issues. How many, I asked this before, how many of us have, have in some way, quote, messed up our life? Eh, yeah. But God did what? He brought you out. He made things away. He transformed situations. He transformed you so that you were in a different place. You made different choices. Now, some choices we make have some consequences that you can't get past. But that doesn't mean God can't bless. And he will. So. So we, we come to the end of that. So let's read our verse, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image. I'm going to change that phrase, to be conformed, but we'll come back to that. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That is the son. We're conformed to the image of the Son so that He gets to be the firstborn. And we are what? After Him. We're after Him. He is the firstborn. So, as believers, are we predestined? Yes. But to what? In the last two sessions, this, is, this has really been the crux of what I've been heading toward. 
What are we predestined to? Salvation? Have we been predestined to be saved or predestined to go to hell? It, can you read that anywhere in Scripture? No, but that is what some people have placed within it. And so to them, you bring up sovereignty, you're talking about predestined to hell. No, I'm not. There's all kinds of other things I'm glad God is sovereign over. But there is also God's sovereignty in my salvation. He made the opportunity for me to believe. In God's sovereignty, he said, choose. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Well, I want to be saved, but I don't want to believe. Can't go that way. Sorry, God's sovereign. You don't get that choice. So what God has done is established certain ways. But so what are we predestined to? In this, in this lesson, we're going to talk about the fact that we're not predestined to salvation, but we're predestined to confirmation. I want you to change that verb, to be conformed. I want you to change that. We'll, you'll see it as we go down through. I, I change it every place else. It's not, I've been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. I've been predestined to confirmation to the image of God's Son. You say, what's the difference? A big difference. One is an end result. You are, you are predestined to be conformed. Whether you do anything in this life or not, when you get to heaven... If you believed in Jesus Christ, you've not done anything, you've not built up any rewards, you've not done anything in obedience to God, but you are saved and you're going to heaven. And when you get to heaven, are you going to look like Jesus? Say yes. Yes. You will. Because it says we shall be like him when he appears, we'll be like him. So we will look like him. But... That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a transition that can take place in this life. I don't have to wait till I get to heaven to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I can be in the process of conformation in this life. It's the process, not the result that God is interested in. And I know you say, well, that's a pretty fine line, yep, but that's what it is. Why? Because the word conformed in the Greek language is not a verb. It's an adjective. We're conformed to confirmation to the image of God's Son, not to be conformed. Yes, I'm going to be conformed. When Jesus appears, we're all going to look like him. We will be like him. That's what the scripture says. But what about the confirmation that I should be making while I'm in this life? That as I am beholding his word as in a mirror, I'm being changed? Is that right? We talked about sanctification. Isn't that me being changed? Isn't working out your own salvation about me being changed? You see, there is a confirmation to that image that God wants me to be working on in this life. Not just when I finally get to heaven. Yep, going to look like Jesus. Everything will be good. Yeah, but God wants us to do things here. And what's the result of that? Rewards. The more we change ourselves in this life, the more reward 
that we have when we get to heaven. Now, those rewards aren't for you to wear around and glorify in yourself. They're for you to present to the Lord. I did this by believing your word. I was able to change this. I was able to overcome this by believing your word. And the more we work out our salvation in this life, the more reward we will have to present to the Lord when we stand before him. Yeah, we're all going to be there. Every person that's believed that Jesus is the Son of God, whether they've ever been educated, whether they've ever been taught, whether they've ever changed anything in their life or not, if they believe, they will be saved. That's what the Scripture says. You have to read something into it to say that they're not. So to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and, and that God raised him from the dead, that's all it was necessary for the Ethiopian eunuch. That's all he had to do. That's what Paul told the Philippian jailers, to believe. But how much change do we want to make? I, I want my life to be changed. I want to see transition in my life. I want to see transition through my life. And all of that transition leads to glory for God. So what is predestination? Predestined. The Greek verb simply means a determined outcome resulting from a choice. To be predestined. Destiny, right? A destination. A predestination means I'm going there, right? Before I got there, I'm going there. And so the, it, predestination is a determined outcome resulting from a choice. You make a choice and you will go there. You make a choice to walk that Toward that door, you will get out into the lobby. You make a choice to walk through this door, you'll get into the children's area. All right? But you make the choice. The outcome is already determined. It's one door or the other. You make the choice. And so God has given us choices. And we have choices in our life that we get to make. But the outcome is already determined, and it's been determined by God in his foreknowledge, and he even knows which choice you're going to make. And so all of these things further uh, work toward God's foreknowledge and his sovereignty. Okay, the outcome is established beforehand. I, I put down two, two different ways of looking at these choices. Choice determines those who will receive the outcome. So a choice determines. Sometimes... The choice is active voice, all right? I'm predestined by something that I do. I did something, and that takes me to a certain place. Active voice. And so I am parting in this. You make the choice to enter the conditions that rule the outcome. You buy a ticket to Maui, you will, well, get on the plane. <laughs> all right, you got to get on the plane. But you get the ticket to Maui, you go to Maui. You say, oh, I didn't want to go to Maui. I bought a ticket to Maui, but I wanted to go to London. Uh, wrong ticket. Right? Just, just, you, now, I don't know. Maybe in today's airline industry, you may end up in London. I, I can't tell you that. But you buy a ticket to a flight to Maui, you're going to end up in Maui. You did something to enter the conditions that will... Bring forth that outcome. Now, then there's a passive 
and this is for you, right? So predestination that is made by you, and also predestination that is made for you. And this is the passive voice. That means somebody else is doing something. Somebody else is having an effect on what's going to happen for you. This is, you receive the outcome that was determined for you based upon some other decision you made or will make. So you made this decision. You didn't make that decision. You made this decision, but this decision causes you to end up there. All right, so you didn't make the decision for that. You just made this decision here. I tried, this is, you know, maybe a horrible illustration, but you choose a seat in exit row. So you, how many fly, right? So you choose a seat in exit row. Choose a seat in exit row what? You will have extra leg room. You didn't make the choice for extra leg room. You made the choice to sit in the exit row because if something happens that plane, you want to be the first one out the door, right? So... <laughs> Anyway, you made the choice, but this is something that goes along with it. And so you didn't make the choice for that. You made this choice, but in making this choice, you end up with that. And this is where we find ourselves in this situation. Going back to the active voice, you choose to believe in Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life. That's it. The, the, the outcome is determined. You choose to believe in Jesus Christ. You didn't choose eternal life. You chose to believe in Jesus Christ. There's lots of people that would like to choose eternal life. Their way. Nirvana. Through Hindu. Buddhist. I, I want to choose that way. Heaven for the Muslims. Their own idea of paradise. They want eternal life, but they're making the wrong choice because their choice for eternal life will not get them there. But if you choose for Jesus Christ, you will get eternal life. You see that? So that's, that's the active voice of this. The passive voice would be this. You choose to believe in Jesus Christ, you will be conformed to the image of his son. You didn't choose conformation to the image you chose to believe in Jesus Christ and you will be conformed to the image either through this life or ultimately when you get to heaven because when we get to heaven we will look like him everything will be done we'll talk about that verse here in just a little while so in, in the idea of predestination, it's either you actively making a choice and getting something, or you making this choice and this also being a result of it. And that's where conformation to the image comes in. You didn't choose conformation to the image of God's Son. You choose eternal life through Jesus Christ. You choose to believe in Jesus Christ. That was your choice. How many have learned some things since you got saved? Did you know that it would do all of that? No. You know, you can pick up a gun, and you can handle that gun, and you can pull that trigger, and there's going to be certain results. You didn't plan on those results, but you put them into operation. 
And so it is that you don't have to know ballistics. You don't have to know all of the details about how this works or why it works or what it happens. All you, all you did was picked up the gun and pulled the trigger. And this is the result. So it is with salvation. I had no idea what I was getting in on. I didn't. I knew that if I believed in Jesus Christ, I'd have eternal life. I knew that I believed in Jesus Christ, my sins would be forgiven. I knew that. That's what it was told me. That I would have eternal life with God. That I would live in heaven. I didn't know much about heaven. It's, you know, um, Tim LaHaye's book, Last Great Planet Earth, had just come out about the same time we got saved. And so, yeah, that's how old I am. But um, I read it. I didn't understand a lot of it. A lot of it didn't make sense to me, and then I got scared that you know the rapture is going to be place, and we're going to live behind, and you know they're going to be beheaded for the name of Jesus, and all those kind of things that went through our minds, and we had no idea what we were believing. Um, we had all kinds of goofy things that we believed in early parts of my Christianity. I don't have any more goofy things that I believe in. Um, <laughs> my goofy theology has been changed. No, we all have goofy theology. And somewhere back there, we got some stuff that's like, wow, did I ever really believe that? <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He used to do some pretty goofy things. And so uh, nobody's better at goofy things than Pentecostals are. But uh, <laughs> so we got all kinds of stuff that we have done and taught and ministered. And hope you never run into those people that you did that with. But anyway, <laughs> but you didn't know all that you were getting. You just believed. So it is with this work of God. I, if I had to choose all the things that's going to happen for me once I get saved, I could never do it. But God has made a plan. I made a choice for Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, all these other things start to take place. And I am being conformed to his image. The more I study his word, the more I listen to his spirit, the more I follow what God is leading me in, the more I find myself conformed to his image. It's not necessarily I was trying to be conformed. I just want to follow Jesus. I just want to follow his word. And all these results start taking place. And so... <clears throat> we we make these choices. That's predestination. I make a choice, and I find myself in a place. So, in this passage, down at the bottom of your first page, Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, so God knew what choice you were going to make. He also predestined to confirmation to the image of His Son. To confirmation. To the image of his son. And so this confirmation is what we're going to be spending some time here looking about. What does it mean, this confirmation to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers? In other words, we're going to look like him because he's the firstborn and we are all after him. So he's the prototype and we are all made in that image. And so we will find ourselves in various stages. Is everybody there? 
is everybody at the same stage? Are we all, you know, processing these things exactly the same way? No. And sometimes that frustrates us because it's like, well, why don't, why, why don't you know this? Why aren't they living, you know, like I'm living, you know? And so, you know, you've got this knowledge and understanding and you want to look down on them. And that's when Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Don't let your knowledge of the things that you know cause you to cast aspersions, cast down and ridicule people who are not as knowledgeable as you. So we're all pursuing this process of confirmation. He also determined that to conform to the image of his son so that we would look like him. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Look at the bottom of your page. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, were, who are elect exiles. Elect exiles. Exiles, strangers, pilgrims. Aliens is the way that Peter refers to believers. Wow, he's got a great attitude toward us, doesn't he? We're exiles. We are aliens. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. Why? Because this isn't our world. It's God's world, yes, but the prince of the power of the air is Satan and this isn't going to be our world till Jesus conquers it, not till we, the church, conquer it. I know there's a bunch of theology going on around that right now, but I'm not going to deal with that. Um, and, but anyway, dominion theology is not biblical, that we are to take dominion, that we have to conquer this world. No, Jesus is going to do it because none of us are qualified. I'm not qualified. But God has a plan. And so we are elect exiles. The word elect means we have been approved or appointed. It's another Greek word for appointed. We're appointed. Appointed by who? Appointed by God. And so this is about believers. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Did he know we would be here? Did he know this time would be going on? And guess what? He's got a plan for you. He's got things for you to do. He's got abilities that you can tap into. God wants to work with us just as much as he wanted to work with believers back in the 1500s to bring about the Reformation. God is not done working with his church. God is not done working with believers. Did you realize Jonathan made this statement the other day in our, in our uh, Voice of China and Asia board meeting? There are now approximately 300 million Christians in China. Is that right? By 2030. Oh, by 2030. By 2030, they're saying there will be 300 million believers in China. What's the population in the United States? Just about the same thing. So think of 
the church, just believers in China, as much as the population of the United States. That's pretty incredible. And God has got a plan for the church in China just as much as he's got a plan for us, as much as he's got a plan for Europe, as much as he's got a plan for the Middle East. Don't write off parts of the world. Don't write off parts of your community. God's got a plan. I just want to be part of it. And so I want to be an elect exile appointed according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I don't know what God's going to ask me to do in the next years. I got, I got no idea. I had no idea five years ago that I would be doing Zoom classes for students all over the world. I, I had no idea I was going to be doing that. Forty years ago, I had no idea that I'd be teaching you. But here you sit. <laughs> well, maybe some of you about, no. So I've only been here for 39 years. So some of you had me at Rama. It was just, were you guys, you're students of mine at Rama. So it's been over 40 years for you. So, didn't you, Ann? So, yeah. So some people have stayed with me for a long time. Very few, but a few. So, but, you know, we have no idea what we're going to be doing. You look at your life and you say, well, I don't know if I'm not really doing much. You have no idea where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing, what words are going to be spoken through you, how you're going to minister to other people. I just want to be God's elect exile according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's what I want to be. Just I, I'll just I'll, I'll be the I'll be the pilgrim you want me to be. Right? I'll be an alien if you want me to be, but not a Cardassian. There's a play on words there, but anyway. So, top of next page. So not only do we see God's foreknowledge involved in, in us as his elect appointed people upon this earth, we see his foreknowledge also available in helping us come to the fullness of what Christ wants for us. Looking at Ephesians chapter four or ch chapter one, verse four, says, "Even as God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ chose us in him before the foundation of the world." that we should be holy and blameless before him. God chose us in him, that is, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. So, before there was even time, that's the word world there, doesn't mean earth, it means time. Before the foundation of time, before there was ever time, let alone creation, no universe, God already had a plan. And the plan was that you would be in Christ. Now, what's he going to do to bring you there? Is it totally up to God? Or is your choice involved? Your choice is involved. Follow along. That chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So that's, that's how God wants us to look. Already going back to that idea of a conformation. We're going to be conformed. We are going to be holy and blameless before him. Now, you have to make a little bit of change to the King James and some other translations because what it really says, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love having predestined us 
for adoption to himself. He has, having predestined in love, because God loved us, he predestined us to adoption to his son. That we are going to be adopted to himself. God made the plan that if you were going to believe, you were going to be his son. The adoption of sons. And this word adoption means to, to, to place in a position of authority. To grant full authority over things. That's what they did when they adopted. They placed a son in rulership. And so this is what God wants. He wants us to find ourselves in adoption to himself. But you were predestined to that. Notice it doesn't say predestined to be saved. Predestined to adoption. Because once you believed... You are saved. And as one who is saved, you become his adopted son. It's the progression of what happens because you made a choice. You believed. Did, did any of you know this when you got saved? Did you know that you were appointed to be the adoption of sons? Did you know that? No. Nobody, nobody shared that with me. You know, the Romans Road doesn't have that in it. You know, so, but you believed and what happened? You were appointed as a mature son of the Lord. How long did it take you to find that out? A long time. Now, if you've been listening to Pastor Bob, uh, about, you know, about 40 years ago, he was teaching this. But if it, there's, there's Christians all over the place, believers, they're going to heaven, but they have no idea that they are God's adopted sons. They have no idea that they have been raised up to a position of maturity and given authority and position in Christ. They got no idea about those things, but they have them. They're theirs. They just don't know that they have it. And so this idea of in love having predestined, because he loved you, this is the plan he made. In love having predestined you to adoption or for adoption to himself. He wanted you to be his. And so this is what God was going to do, even though you didn't know he was going to do it. He was going to do it. And as adoption himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And how did that come about? You believed and you received. Paul goes on further down in Ephesians chapter 1, down in verses 13 and 14, and he says, you knew heard, you believed, and you were sealed. And so you heard these things, you believed, and you were sealed, and this is all that you have because of that. And so this idea of God doing for us, this predestination includes things that you had no idea you were going to get. You just made a choice for Jesus. He just wanted to believe in Jesus. How many got saved as a child in, in children's church? How, you know, like little kids. How old? How young? Ten. Five. Five. Sarah, four. Robin, three. Winner. Yeah, so. But. Do we want all these kids to sit there and we're going to pour all of this knowledge and bring Jeff Jackson in to teach them the book of Romans? 
<laughs> no, and I don't even want to. Children scare me. So anyway, the, uh, the point being, you didn't have to know all of this, but God does want to reveal it. And again, coming back to what we've been saying since I began teaching the book of Romans, I know you can hardly remember that, but is that Paul wrote this book. People didn't have a Bible to refer to. How are they supposed to know all these things? Well, Paul wrote them. Yeah, but it's another three, four centuries before people can even have a Bible. And 1,500 centuries before, or 15 centuries before they're able to print Bibles and have one in their own home. But all of this was there just because the leaders of the church didn't tell the people. Doesn't mean the people didn't have it. Okay, so what is this confirmation about? Confirmation, we are predestined to become like Christ. This predestination is for us to become like Christ. That's what it's all about. Now I know, when we get to heaven, we're going to be like him. But God's interested in us becoming like him here. Here. But not to be saved, right? You're not being made in the image of Christ to be saved. You're saved to be made into the image of Christ. So salvation redemption, justification, those things that come solely by faith alone, then comes application in our life. We talked about sanctification. We talked about growing in the things of God. We talked about listening to the Spirit of God, following the Spirit. All of these things work for us. And so God wants us to reach this place having been saved. Because in love, He saved us and predestined us to this position in Him. So, look at our point. Confirmation, we are predestined to become like Christ. God has foreordained that those who love Him, that's what we looked at in verse 27, that those who love Him, those who are called, going back to 27, the saints, we call them believers, all of these are, are brought into confirmation to the image of that is, to the likeness of his son. This is what God has foreordained. He wants you to look like his son. Amen. And though he's called you as his child, and he's even made you a son, you don't know what you have until we begin to study. So the word conformation, sumorphos, see there in your notes, confirmation, sumorphos, means to be alike in revealing the true nature that is within. Sum morphos, to be alike in revealing the true nature that is within. You got born again, and you were made in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Confirmation is you bringing that out. Confirmation is you working out that work of God that's inside of you. You are righteous and holy. You are strong and secure you are holy and good all those things are inside of you but you have to do what bring them out that is being conformed to the image and how do you do that 
conform to this image. Uh, excuse me, look at the word image, because this word image comes up several times in the passage we're going to look at. Icon. The Greek word for image is icon, which is the same as our word icon. It is an impressed image. Think of a, of a signet ring. And so the signet ring is a reverse of what you want to have in the seal. So you press it into the seal. And so it's, it's to be a direct representation of what's on the seal is what's in the wax. Right? And that's the way that God wants us to be. That is icon. Right? It's not what's in the wax that is the original. It's what's on the ring, right? What's on the seal. So it is that Christ is the original, but we are to be made into his image. We are the impressed image of him. We're not him. And so it's not an exactness. The Greek word for exact is the Greek word esos, or isos, I-S-O-S. And esos means to be exact. We're not exact, but we are icon. We're that expressed image. So, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are, we are being transformed. It's not we were transformed. It didn't all take place when you got born again. It was an immediate transformation and you're all done. Totally mature. Now, there's days that, you know, we wish, wow, God, couldn't you have done that for me? <laughs> all, this, all this study and learning and, you know, 59 lessons in Jeff's Roman class. You know what? Oh, please, isn't there a shortcut to all of this? Being transformed. Be transformed into the same image. The Greek word transformed is a metamorphomai. I know that's a big word. Metamorphomai, which we get the word metamorphosis. All right, And it means to change the observable form into that which it truly is by nature. To change the observable form. So you see a caterpillar, that's the observable form. But metamorphosis is when that turns into the butterfly. Because that's the real nature that was on the inside. Tadpoles to frogs. Us to Christ. And so, yes, there is a nature is on the inside. You have been created in the image and likeness of God in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 3, 24. But conformation, transformation is me bringing that to the outside. Allowing that transition to take place. I am being conformed to the image or I'm being transformed into his image. Okay, so... How is this done? It's all done by the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we're done by how? Unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. This is looking at His Word. This is looking at the Spirit of God, listening to the things that God is saying, studying what God is speaking to us. All of these things help us to be 
transformed. Look at Romans 12, verse 2, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I didn't put this down, but the word conform means to be pressed into a mold. Pressed into a mold. Or, a better word for us, masquerade. To masquerade. So to masquerade is you put on a gorilla outfit, but you're not a gorilla. I could dress myself in, you know, a Spider-Man outfit, but I'm not Spider-Man. All right, so I can, I can change some exterior something to make people think I'm whatever, but I'm not. And look at how Paul says it. Stop allowing yourself to be conformed. Stop allowing yourself to be pressed into the mold. Stop masquerading in the image of the world. That's not who you are. But be what? Transformed. Metamorphaomai. Bring to the outside that true nature that you are in the inside. Bring outwardly what you really are inwardly. And how do I do that? Be transformed how? How does he say it? By what? Renewing of our mind. By the renewing of our mind. And one of the ways we renew our mind is by the study of his word. We renew our mind by listening to the voice of the spirit. We renew our mind through worship and prayer. There's all manners of ways, but we look to God to renew our mind. He's, he's doing something for us. And the more he does that, the more I am able to be transformed into that image. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13 and verse 15 says, And God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And he gave these until we all attain, until how many of us? All attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Are we there yet? No, I don't think so. Uh, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we have teachers, pastors, prophets, evangelists ministering to us so that we can come to this stature of the measure of the fullness of Christ. And so this is where God wants us to be, to be fully aware of what God wants. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That is being conformed to the image of Christ. We are to grow up into him who is the head. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. We're following, listening, drawing upon what God has given us so that we can find ourselves in this image. And then 1 John 3, 2, I've been quoting this since the beginning of class tonight. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be what? Like him. This is a very interesting word for like. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The word like is homoyas, homoyas, right? And homoyas, the root for our word, right? Homo sapien, right? Right? Homo being the same as, right? Same as. And so this word, homoyas, means, listen, to be alike 
in apparent detail, but not exact. To be alike in apparent. When we see Jesus, we will be like him, but not exactly. Why? Because he's God, and we never will be. He's God, we are not. But we will be like him. That same holiness, that same grace, that same peace, everything that is about him, we will be like him. When he appears, we will be. But here's the point. I don't want to wait till Jesus comes to be like him. I want to work on that now. I want to be applying myself to the word. I want to be listening to the spirit. I want to be following the things of God. I want to be talking to God. I want to be praying. I want to be worshiping. Because all of those things help me to become more like him. I want to be in the process of conform, conformation, right? Conformation. Becoming like him in this life, not just when I get to heaven. Thank God I will be when we get to heaven. But the more I do here, the more I get rewarded for. And the more rewards I have, the more glory I can give to him. Because he's the one that did it. All right? And so all of this is so that we might grow up into him who is the head. And the purpose of this, we go back to Romans uh, 830, uh, 829 is conformed to the image of his son, right, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, that he might be the firstborn. The word firstborn has to do with the fact that he is in the primary position of which others follow, or it wouldn't be firstborn. And so we have a number of verses that talk about Christ being the firstborn. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. That is, He's what we can see. God we cannot. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's also what? The firstborn of all creation, meaning He was primary to everything. He is superior to everything. He is above everything. That's what it means to be the firstborn born of all creation and then we go down to first uh, to colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 move down one verse it says and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent he's the firstborn from the dead that is not only primary in time but primary in position in authority, he is above all those things who have been born from the dead. Jesus came out from the dead. He came out from the dead. He was among the dead. He came out from among the dead, and he is the first. When Jesus came to the earth, John 3.16, he says God gave his what? Only begotten son. Now he is his first begotten son, of which we have become extensions. And the very fact that he is first means that there's others in line. Otherwise, it wouldn't be first. And so thank God we are all in that same position. Body your page, and this leads to the, uh, to the last page in your notes, which I'm just going to let you kind of study through. I've had this in your notes for the last two weeks, but now I'll talk a little bit about it. Chosen or choice? Are we chosen or are we making a choice? 
Say both. Both, yeah. Because we're going to talk about being chosen. That's going to something that's going to come up as we go into chapter 9, 10, and 11. But we also have choice. Any serious student of Scripture will know that it is by faith all through the Bible. Old Testament, it was faith. They believed. They believed and obeyed. They didn't just obey. They believed first. And so they believed God. Abraham believed God. Hebrews chapter 11 is full of all the things that they did by faith. They believed by faith. And so this pattern is written in Scripture. By faith is the way we are saved. Romans chapter 3, verse 25, 23 through 25, that it is by faith that we are saved. It is our believing. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, we're saved how? By grace, through faith. Not just by grace. The guys, if God by his grace chose who gets to come and who doesn't, no, it's by grace, through faith. So the idea that the grace is not poured out until the faith is expressed. And by grace, through faith. And it's not of us. We can't boast. It's all of him. And so all of this is a progression of God's plan for us. I put this down here in, in the bottom of your, of your notes. Um, God's wrath on the unrighteous. And I took this out of my online Bible study software. But I want you to just read down through this. this we covered this earlier in Romans chapter 1. This is verse 18 through 32. And this is that passage about the judgment of God and the wrath of God being poured out. But I want you to notice, as you read down through here, uh, and notice some of those, those words that are highlighted, especially in the purple. The purple words, they did this. This was about them making these choices. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They became futile. They became fools. And verse 23, look at verse 23 in that passage, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They made the exchange. God didn't. God didn't make this exchange for them. They made the exchange. And then, verse 24, then, what does it say? God gave them up. But before God gave them up, they had made all these other changes in their life. Notice down at the bottom, I've highlighted it in yellow. They, they suppressed the truth. They did not honor God. They became futile in their thinking. They, uh, their foolish hearts were darkened. They became fools. They exchanged the glory of God for the worship of creation. They did all those things before God did anything. So don't go with this thing, well, God just put these people and he judges these people and, and all these things. No, they made their choices. Their what? Choices. They could have chosen differently, but they didn't. And so even after they had made these choices, I want you to notice verse 29. They made all these choices. Are they doomed? Is there no hope for them? Look at verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice, they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. 
They were gossips. What? Yeah, that's what it says, gossips. Uh, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Thank God that I don't have to worry about that. Uh, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. We, we want to think that this passage is only about people who have, who have perverted themselves through sexual sin. Look at that list. They, they were just gossips, and God gave them over. They're just slandering one another, and God gave them over. They had evil suspicions in their mind, and God gave them over. Why? Because they wouldn't change. They refused to change. But then you read, I didn't put the reference in here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, I believe it is. And Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were sanctified. <laughs> you were justified. So, is there hope for these people? Yeah. yeah. Through what? C-H-O-I-C-E. Through what? Choice. choice. Not by God's assignment, but by their choice. They can make this transition so that they can be made into the image of Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. Thank you, Father, for helping to take these principles and help us apply them.